the locus of the Chinese spiritual experience is the family. And the most important holiday is Spring Festival. This is one reason every year we see such a spike in travel. Of course, that's good for the economy. And it's a very interesting thing is that a lot of southern Chinese people are actually going to spend their winter in Harbin enjoying the snow. And a lot of people in Harbin are coming to Hainan and a lot of other people coming from the northern parts to enjoy the warm weather. I'm optimistic about the future, but I don't think it's easy because the structural reform needs so many things to do. Not only the government, but also the market, the society. Everybody must do their best in the next year. The Chat Lounge. Chat Lounge. Chat Lounge. The Chat Lounge unpacks views and opinions on hot issues in a more casual way. Welcome to The Chat Lounge. I'm Tuyun. Joining our discussion on how the Spring Festival holiday may unleash China's growth potential amid challenges ahead are Andy Mock, Senior Research Fellow at the Center for China and Globalization, Chen Jiahe, Chief Investment Officer of Beijing-based Novem RK Technologies, and Professor Hu Naijun, School of Public Policy and Management, University of Chinese Academy of Sciences. Great pleasure to have you all back on the show, gentlemen. So as tens of millions of Chinese embark on journeys to reunite with family and friends, the world's largest annual human migration is set to unleash the growth potential of the country's economy. In the 40-day Spring Festival travel rush period, which started about a half month ago, is expected to witness a record high 9 billion domestic trips, nearly double the number recorded last year. So let's start with uh, Nijing, whose hometown, Harbin, in northeast China, has been the tourist hotspot in the past few weeks since the beginning of the year. Have you seen the crowds already? Actually, I I saw the crowds not in Harbin but in Shanghai last week. All right, <laughs> you know, I, yes, I went to Shanghai for business、uh, last week, and I saw I witnessed the outbound travel rush in Shanghai because so many people who are working in Shanghai actually are from Zhejiang, Anhui, or Jiangsu provinces, which are so close to Shanghai, and now it is their turn to go back to their hometown. So I witnessed a.、Uh, Outbound rush from Shanghai, and、uh, I also witnessed some kind of quietness in central Shanghai. <laughs> right, I was about to ask you about Harbin. Um, then have you been back home recently? Is it, are you trying to avoid the crowd? Uh, actually, I I haven't been back in Harbin for at least a year for personal reasons. But I heard a lot about Harbin's hotspot things, like、uh, so many people in Harbin now, and the local people have troubles to find some. Where to eat, or to have bath, or to、uh, go anywhere else, or、uh, be second-handed treated <laughs> from、uh, outsiders. So I I know that that Harbin is a hot spot, but I'm not I'm not surprised about this because Harbin has been the ice and snow travel hot spot ever since nearly forty years ago when I was a boy. I think the Harbin has some kind of long-term. Readiness for this kind of hotspot. So I'm not surprised about this. But I see, yes, I I heard from my friends, my relatives that Harbin is a is a hotspot. And I saw a a a series of data recently that not only people from southern part of China are traveling to Harbin, but so many people from southern China are buying properties in Harbin. Nearly forty four thousand people having purchased properties in Harbin during last month. Yes, indeed,、uh, and according to a report by、uh, Tongcheng Travel, 
Ice and snow themed vacations have become the the top choice for for domestic travelers、um, in the country.、Um, with Harbin being the most favorite destination for this spring festival holiday season, I wish I I could be there, but just couldn't get any tickets. And、um, let's move on to to Jiahe,、um, who's now in Hainan, right? Yes, yes, I'm I'm in Hainan right now. Then, I came here about Moscow. Right. What does this scene look like in in the southern island province of Hainan, which is also known as China's Hawaii? Like you said, you've been there,、uh, staying there for for weeks, and、uh, you're in a perfect position to observe the changes there. Yeah, I mean, a love, lovely position to enjoy my, you know, winter because Hainan is quite warm during the winter. You can, you can even wear not too much clothes、uh, compared with the northern part of China, not, not at all. And it's a very interesting thing is that、uh, in Hainan province where I'm living and all. The cities you see a lot of people come from the northeast provinces of China, where a lot of them are definitely coming from Harbin. So it's a lot of southern Chinese people actually going to spend their winter in Harbin, enjoying the snow. And a lot of people in Harbin are coming to Hainan, and a lot of other people coming from the northern parts to enjoy the warm weather. So so it's a bit like、uh, people said that what is traveling is that you 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 go from the place where you have been bored with your life and to visit an, a place where the others have been bored with their lives. So so this is what what I feel. But anyway. The life is really relaxing over here.、Mm. Hainan is a very important destination for the tourism、uh, industry in China. Right, indeed.、Uh, finally, to to Andy, who's been traveling in central China's Hunan province in the past few days. Am I right, Andy? Yeah, that's right. How's the festival atmosphere there? Has the snow affected your mood or travel plan to any extent? Well. First of all, let me say that、uh, I'm certainly experiencing firsthand this enormous、uh, spike in travel. Uh, for a couple of reasons,、uh, why I think we're witnessing such an enormous increase in travel. So, of course, it's Spring Festival, and for foreign listeners, they they all have heard of Chinese New Year、uh, Spring Festival, but they might not realize just how profoundly important it is to the Chinese people. So, there's a very famous French sinologist,、uh, Marcel Grenet, who once wrote that Chinese wisdom. Uh, has no need for the idea of God, and what he means here is that the Chinese worldview is there. Only, there is only one world,、uh, not two. Meaning that、uh, many in the West believe in an afterlife, and the goal of this life is to get to the afterlife. Whereas for the Chinese, they believe this life is all there is. And then Roger Ames, who's a very famous Confucian scholar, said that the spiritual locus or center. Of Chinese or the locus of the Chinese spiritual experience is the family, and the most important holiday is Spring Festival. So it really takes a quasi-religious feeling of how important、uh, it is to go home for the Spring Festival holiday. So I think this is one reason every year we see such a spike in travel. Now we have to combine this with、uh, coming out of COVID. So for several years, many people found it very challenging、uh, to go home. So this year. I think many people feel that you know there there really is no other reason not to go home.、Indeed. So, to travel. Now, my personal experience is that I flew from Beijing、uh, to Changsha, which of course is the provincial capital of Hunan, and I'm currently in the countryside of Changde, which is a prefectural level city of about 1.5 million people. Now, to get to Changde was not easy. So, for five days. There's about 30 trains a day between Changsha and Changde, so for the five days of this week, every train was booked, so we could not get a train ticket. 
Well, we were lucky that we were able to get a car, and it took us five hours to get here, partly because of the snow, uh, partly it's just the traffic at this time of year. So I think that this is a very, very positive sign that we're seeing so many people travel. Of course, that's good for the economy. Um, at the end of the day, I think it calls for a certain amount of patience, but certainly I think people that make it home, again, feel not just a normal happiness at being home, but a very deep spiritual fulfillment as well. Right. Uh, can I ask why you chose uh, Chengdu instead of other places like uh, Xiangxi or other more renowned um, tourist venues there? Well, because I'm uh, spending the, the holiday with a friend's family. So that's why. This, this part of my trip is not about sightseeing, but really is spending time with uh, important people in my life. Right. No wonder you mentioned the traditional Chinese philosophy of uh, reuniting with uh, family and friends during the Spring Festival. And uh, I understand you you were stuck in uh, some traffic for five hours when you drove on the road, right? Yes, absolutely. Right. So there's a couple reasons for that. So one is that, um, again, I think this time of year, there's just a lot of people traveling. But the other, there was a very large unseasonal snowfall here. So like in many parts of the world uh, where they're not used to getting a you know, decent amount of snow, uh, that can be very disruptive. So a lot of the roads still had a lot of snow on it and people were driving more carefully. Uh, certain roads were closed. Uh, so it just took a little bit longer. Mm. And the reason why I mentioned that is that according to the Ministry of Transport, some 80 percent of the nine billion passenger trips are expected to be self-driving trips like what, what you had, and um, which also set a record. And the rest, 20 percent, uh, will be made through rail, highway or aviation and water transportation. So why do you think so many people choose self-driving this year? What signal does that send? Or am I reading too much into it? No, no, no. So I can see two reasons, right? So one, just like in our situation, we could not get train tickets. You know, our first choice would have been uh, to take the train, uh, but we just could not get tickets. So we, we had to drive. Um, the other is that uh, as more and more as China becomes more and more prosperous, more and more people buy cars. And of course, we're also, this is not directly relevant. Also, there's an enormous transition from internal combustion engine vehicles uh, to electric vehicles. But anyway, uh, more and more people own cars, and most people prefer point-to-point transportation. So just as when we fly, we would rather not have to change planes but go directly to our destination. When you take a train, take a plane, you have to go to the airport. You have to when you land at your destination, airport, train station, you then have to get to wherever it is you're actually going. So by driving, you can actually go directly from your home to whatever your destination is. Uh, or wherever you're leading from to your your destination. So I think there's a greater amount of convenience as well. Uh, that is a manifestation of China's increase in prosperity. But there are also some uh, other interpretation. It's if you drive, it should be you know a distance of uh, drivable. So some would say, does that stand for a downgrade of consumption? Uh, Jia He, what's your interpretation of such a phenomenon? 
Definitely not. <laughs> self-driving is a very luxurious thing. I mean, if 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 you look at、uh, what you require for self-driving compared with traveling by airline or、uh, train, which train has been a very traditional、uh, method for Chinese people to travel during the Lunar New Year. If you look at how difficult it is for you to get a train ticket, you know what I mean.、Uh, right. But compared with these traditional methods of traveling, now more and more people with actually younger generation,、uh, more income,、uh, more time to spend, start to drive. You know, drive their cars back home. If if you think about this, in order to drive back home, you need these kind of things. You you have to own a car in the very first place. Currently,、uh, around four people in China owns one single car. So owning a car is not that popular a thing compared with like if you go look at U.S. It's about、uh, every ten people owns about eight vehicles, but in China it's about every ten person owns about three to four vehicles. So、uh, the first thing is that you have to get a car. This car is reliable enough for long distance traveling, and you. You have to spend the money of your either your gas or your electricity on the way, which is not cheap if you compare that with with the train.、Um, and, it, and another thing is that many people are choosing to travel back home with their own cars. It's not it's because now they're not just going back; they want to carry things around, you know.、Uh, and some people are not going back to home; they spend their holiday to you know to a traveling destination like Hainan or、uh, you know Tibet or these places. And they go to these places and they drive their cars there, so it's much more convenient than just to grab a Package and travel by train and air.、Uh, so, so actually speaking, it's more people traveling、uh, by cars because people have more choices during the Lunar New Year. It's really an improvement of the consumption, I would say. And then to Nigeria, you said you were in Shanghai a few days ago.、Um, have you noticed any increase in the number of、uh, foreign tourists? We know, you know, Shanghai is a obviously a favorite destination of、uh, foreigners when they travel、uh, in China. And the reason why I ask this question is because Sea Trip, one of China's、uh, leading travel service providers, has released a report、uh, saying inbound travel orders increased more than ten times year on year during the Spring Festival period, and travelers from around from abroad are mainly from Japan, the U.S., South Korea, and Malaysia. So, what's your observation there? Well, I don't think my observation will represent the general whole map of China because I went to Shanghai to see a friend coming from Denmark,、oh, right. who is working in a Danish company in、uh. Shanghai. So I saw a lot of foreign people in his company.、Uh, but according to the data, especially on, for example, the flight,、uh, the domestic flight from abroad, you can see that we are still in recovery of international traveling. Because the international flight, not only in Shanghai but also in Beijing, Guangzhou, Shenzhen, and other cities, are not as as many as it used to be before the pandemic. So, from the statistic data, we can say that right now in China there may be no not as many as foreign people as the the period before the pandemic. But as to Shanghai, I think I, I saw yes, I saw a lot of foreign people. I saw a lot of people are queuing up in some. Food store to buy things. I I saw a lot of people are traveling in the shopping malls.、Uh, Shanghai's consumption, in my opinion, from my observation, although it is not a general picture of the whole, but I think Shanghai's consumption is, as to me, a, a very flourish. And、uh, I also saw a lot of activities and a lot of promotions of sales, etc., etc. So from my observation in Shanghai, I couldn't see the consumption. Has any problem? Right, and Andy, I believe you have a lot of、um, foreign friends、uh, in this country. But to what extent do you expect these groups of uh, passengers, um, you know, inbound tourism, if you will,、uh, to contribute to the Chinese economy this year? From your observation. 
Well, I think there's two categories here, uh, or maybe I should say three. The foreigners already living in China. Now, for this group of people, I think they are a lot like local Chinese in that this is a long holiday. It's an opportunity to travel, uh, see different parts of China. So I think certainly that is a contribution to the economy. The second group then are foreign business executives. And similarly, as we see many Chinese going home for spring festival because it was very difficult to travel during the COVID days, that many senior business executives now can come to China uh, that haven't been here in several years. And of course, coming here is good for the economy, but perhaps uh, a more narrow segment of the economy, uh, but still a positive. The third group that are people coming for tourism. And I think this is the area that has the greatest opportunity for growth. So it's not only the COVID, previous COVID restrictions, um, but China, of course, has been taking steps with countries to reduce visa requirements. So that's an enormous positive. You know, people are able to come, but there's still questions about the global economy. Uh, there's still, you know, some sentiment due to geopolitics that uh, in the mind of some travelers, at least, make China a less appealing location. So I think this is the this is the group with the greatest upside going forward in terms of coming to China and making a contribution to the economy. Indeed. Um, the reason why we talk about tourism or uh, the Spring Festival travel um, is, at the end of the day, is about the economy. Because um, human activities, including travel, will help boost the growth of uh, various sectors of, of the economy. And um, and according to some latest report by the, the China Tourism Academy, the country's tourism sector will rebound fully to the pre-pandemic level th this year. What we've been uh, witnessing since the beginning of um, 2024 with the Harbin Ice tourism boom and now the Spring Festival travel season is, I think it's just the, the tip of the iceberg. But the question is, how long this momentum can sustain? Um, so from your experience so far this year from the and from the policy point of view what are the you know the challenges there and what are the weak links to be fixed so that the travel and tourism sector can grow at a faster speed as the the authorities hope for um, maybe we start from Andy well I think one of course is just the physical ability to get here so for example uh, flights between China and the US still in terms of number and frequency, are not where they are pre-COVID. So to the degree there are more flights, more frequent flights, and less expensive flights, I think that certainly will contribute uh, to more people coming, not just from the U.S., but from all around the world. So I think uh, civil aviation is probably the biggest potential contributor, I think, to accelerating growth in tourism in China today. Right. Andy, I understand you've been asked to share uh, your advice on how to make the Chaoyang District, uh, Beijing CBD area, more appealing to foreigners. Can you share with us your thoughts on that? Sure, sure. So just by way of context, so Beijing is, of course, the capital of China. And it is uh, in a category with, say, New York City and London in this regard, in that it's not only the capital of a major country, but it is a, a very cosmopolitan destination. And Chaoyang District, to you, as you mentioned, uh, is the central business district. Uh, it is also home to probably the most um, international and uh, perhaps uh, buzziest areas. So again, we can think of you know the more fashionable, coolest, hippest 
places in New York uh, in terms of neighborhoods. That that's one way we can understand Chaoyang. So I made two points uh, to the district government. One is emphasizing the importance of a high quality and diverse F and B food and beverage sector. So we think again, like places like New York, uh, London, Tokyo. What makes them great and attracts? Uh, not just businesses, uh, business travelers, but tourists and even people from all around their own country is a very diverse, high quality dining scene. So that's one thing. Uh, the second that's related to this is making it easier for young people in the creative industries. So think TikTok influencers to easily come to Beijing, to Chaoyang, to work, to stay, because these people have tremendous Influence and growing impact. However, one challenge they face is that they typically have non-traditional backgrounds. And the way work permits work in China is that they're much more credential-based. So, how many years of relevant work experience do you have? You know, what relevant educational credentials do you have for the job you're doing? And the problem here is that、um, for these young creatives, often you know they're they're self-taught. They figure out, or sometimes they get lucky. Uh, and become very famous on TikTok and other social media platforms.、Uh, and right now,、uh, officially, you know, I think China doesn't have a good way of recognizing these kinds of people. So I think two things: one is strengthening the international F and B scene and making it easier for young creatives to come to Chaoyang and stay and share, you know, some of the exciting things that are going on. This has been the Chat Lounge. When we come back, how may investment and export, the other two main engines driving China's growth, operate? In the months to come. Once upon a time, in a land not so very far away, stories were told of the brave and the bold. The whole court fell silent to hear what the great warrior Mulan might ask for. Of mighty deities and powerful immortals. Immediately, the shimmering skin started to grow before his eyes. Of fated love and love sanctified. In dawn's golden light, New Lang said, "Marry me." Of great journeys across fantastical landscapes. So the cat and the mouse climbed on the dog's back, and the dog swam across the broad river in the company of friends and enemies and unimagined beasts. Yeah, <laughs> good to see you. Of ordinary folk with tantalizing stories to tell, heroes and heroines all. It's incredible. How did you do that? Tales of sad sacrifice and victories snatched from the jaws of defeat. Stories of the wise, the accomplished, and the quick of mind. Five thousand years of amazing Chinese folk tales. You'll find Chinese folk tales season three wherever you discover your favorite podcasts. Welcome back to the Chat Lounge. We're discussing how the Spring Festival holiday may unleash China's growth potential amid challenges in the year of the Chinese dragon. And、uh, Taho, you were in some、um, famous tourist、uh, resort, Hainan, which is obviously attracting、um, not just、uh, Chinese but also a lot of、um, foreigners there. Do you see any bottlenecks there? 
Or do you think um, the policies that the authorities are adopting right now are enough to sustain the growth momentum in, in the tourism sector or to boost um, tourism and consumption there? I think, that, I think that's a very uh, good question. And I think I'm the right person to answer this because in the past four years, I have spent about eight to nine months in Hainan province walking around different cities, you know, mm. uh, like Changjiang, Haikou, Nisanya. I saw different cities. Um, the, so the first question is, yes, you see a lot of foreigners in Hainan province uh, right now. Uh, it's, it's actually many people coming from the um, the northern part of the Europe, like uh, countries like Russia, uh, basically because Hainan is warm. And uh, you, you know, the winter in the northern part of Europe is it's not very friendly during the, you know, it's, it's all the snows. It's a bit like the north is the provinces of China. So a lot of them are actually choosing to come to spend their uh, winter in Hainan province, um, which is, you know, the south is the province of China. Uh, and, and if you go to Sanya province, uh, you, you can see so many foreigners on the streets. There are even some bars and shops uh, with their names of European languages upon it. Basically, they're attracting a lot of customers speaking that language. Otherwise, they won't put the language label on on the front of their uh, shop. You know, Chinese people don't read that. And regarding the second question, I think the local authorities and governments are doing their best to try to improve the uh, traveling uh, circum- uh, the, the traveling environment here to, to make people feel that they are friendly. And if you have any trouble in the traveling and you make a complaint to the local government, you get response really, really quick. And the businesses uh, and local businesses who are found to be making fraud to tourists, which happens. I mean, Hainan is a province with like 10 million people. Well, bad things happen sometimes. But if you are a business that has been found in doing some fraud to customers, then the authorities will make a super high fine to this kind of business to make sure that no one else dare to do it again. Uh, I remember a few days ago that I was following someone who is traveling in Hainan on the Douyin app. Uh, And she was sharing her experience very happily every day. And later on, she got some problem in the Sanya city. uh, And and she was... uh, you know, got into a fraud and she lost like a few hundred yuan. It's not a lot of money, you know, it's like uh, just a 50 US dollar. But she made a complaint on the internet. She didn't even make the complaint to the Sanya government. She just made a complaint on her social media. But she uh, posted some uh, posts later on, I mean, I think it's about two days later, said the, the Sanya authorities came to her and said, we noticed that you have been posting this complaint. So we have, we're coming to uh, find out the details. And later on, she said the authorities uh, gave a very large fine to the local company and uh, and made a lot of apologize, apologize to her, and this thing was sorted out perfectly. So you follow this uh, string of events for about seven days, and the problem was sorted out. Uh, that that tourist didn't even make a complaint to the authority in the formal way. She just posted on the social media, and her complaint was noticed by the Sanya government immediately. So you can see that the local governments are really doing what they can to make the tourists feel good about their experience in this province. Mm, that's a really friendly environment for tourists. But on the other hand, you know, previously, why the tourism or consumption level inside the country is, you know, still falling short, if I could say that, short of uh, expectation, especially after the COVID pandemic is because um, the slow growth in people's income growth. But now, what are the major bottlenecks, you know, preventing people from spending more? Is is the country's income growth level still the key bottleneck, um, Nigeria, according to your study? I think you're specialized in public policy, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Yes, we, we know that uh, the consumption has so much to do with uh, income, while the income has so much to do with uh, employment and economic background. So I think right now, yes, we are we are facing a kind of uh, challenging economic 
background, as we all know. Uh, but I, I think this kind of background has been everlasting since 10 years ago. We call them the new normal. So our growth rate is not as fast as it used to be, especially before the 2012. So I think uh, this kind of feelings, especially the expectations about the future, is very stable in people's minds. So it has, I should say, little or very little to do with the, the COVID pandemic issue. So I think right now it is the structural reform of China's uh, economy and our way of life. For example, our uh, used to we used to rely on, for example, investment, uh, we used to rely on the foreign trade to be the main engine of our economic growth. But right now, we, we, we have to rely on the consumption. But here, consumption, in my opinion, it's not uh, from the quantity's point of view, but from the quality's point of view. Yes, you have mentioned about the consumption upgrade or downgrade. It's not easy to say that, but according to the data of the National Day holiday last year, it's only about three months ago, that uh, the people traveling uh, is actually more than it used to be in 2019. However, the per capita consumption is a little lower than, than it is in 2019. So, uh, but we must also to uh, witness that the kind of structure of the consumption. Uh, I think the uh, the, the the food, uh, the the accommodation, in my opinion, is not a major consumption right now. But the other kind of things like cultural spending and uh, for for entertainment or for other kind of learning or for other kind of personal uh, experience things are also increasing. So it's not easy to say whether consumption is uh, upgrading or downgrading because we still need more data, more cases, more study about the structure, about the content. So I think. You know, what I want to express is that we must use a new kind of attitude toward future consumption, especially on, on traveling. We cannot uh, compare the data easily on the quantity because quantity may not the whole story, but we must pay attention to the content and the, the whole map of the consumption, in my opinion. Mm. Andy, what's your interpretation here? Uh, do, you, do you see any bottlenecks um, urgently needed to, to settle? Sure. Well, I think certainly no one would disagree that income is very important to support consumption. But I think the other piece of it is also wealth. So we know that, of course, the Chinese real estate market, uh, the residential market, uh, is experiencing some significant challenges. And what this does is that, of course, uh, people feel, and in some cases are in reality, less wealthy because the value of their real estate has gone down. So that, of course, will affect spending. But it also has a very powerful psychological impact as well, because if you've seen your property values go down and you believe they will continue to go down, so here expectations are very important. If you believe they will continue to go down, you're very likely to be more cautious in how you spend your money. So this is completely separate from income. This is a wealth effect. Now, also contributing to this is, of course, the state of the Chinese stock market. So we know the economy actually is doing pretty well. Well, it's, you know, it's recovering, I think, in a, on a very solid basis, uh, which is in stark contrast to what a lot of Western media reports. Um, but I think the economy is basically solid, but we're seeing a disconnect between the economy's performance and the stock market performance. But this also then affects people that own Chinese stocks. And again, if you believe that it's not going to get better, you're going to be very, very cautious in how you spend your money. So I think if, uh, you know, and then of course there are steps being taken. We know that the government has prioritized 
uh, both the real estate market and the Chinese stock market as areas for attention. And I think uh, when, if, when, you know, this improves, this, of course, will improve consumer sentiment. And we should expect then a similar rise in spending as well. Um, you talked about this um, residential market. We saw the authorities in uh, some major cities, including Beijing, Shanghai, and Guangzhou, introduce policies to to loosen purchase control before the Spring Festival holiday. Then, how would you expect investments in this field to to go in in the year to come? Um, to what extent do you think it it could contribute to the overall economic growth this year? Andy. Well, it's certainly a step in the right direction, but this is a very complex problem. So to the degree you can increase demand uh, by making it more affordable, by lowering down payments, lowering interest rates, et cetera, you're you're stimulating demand. Uh, We also have to consider uh, some supply questions as well. You know, one of the, you know, this is a very complex topic we could spend hours talking about. Let Let me leave it at it's a complex problem. I think that these are steps in the right direction. You know, and, and what we have to see, again, uh, in the long run is this balance uh, of not having people speculate on real estate to an unhealthy degree, but at the same time, making sure that it is one of several mechanisms for storing and creating wealth. And you know, this is uh, the challenge for any economy. We've seen countries like the United States go through the uh, the great financial crisis in 08 that was largely based on real estate. So this is this is an important problem. It's a very challenging problem. And I think that it will be the key uh, to sustainable consumption growth in the future. Mm. And, and talking about the stock market in, in this country, I think a lot of investors experienced some real pain over the past year, including some foreign investment institutions. And um, like Andy, you just said, uh, to support um, economic activities, stability of the capital market is a very important factor. So so before the Spring Festival holiday, we saw authorities coming up with raft of measures to stabilize China's domestic um, stock market, which had hit a five-year low. I'm sure Jiahe is very familiar. And those measures include um, like a reserve requirement ratio cuts, crackdown on malicious short sellers, like you mentioned, increases of uh, state investment funds, purchases of uh, stock index funds. They, they seem to have worked, right? Because um, we've seen the domestic stock market rise for a few sessions. But the question is still, how long can those measures support the stock market effectively, not necessarily going up all the time, but remaining stable, right, Jiahe? What's your expectation here? Well, the, the stock market has been a very large story. Um, and, you know, people have, well, if you look at the past few years, we, we really had a bear, a bear market. So the market started dropping from 2021, and now it's 2024, this market still uh, trying to seek it bottom. But the thing is that this uh, bear market actually came from a bull market before that. I mean, if you look at the market between 2019 and 2021, people were really happy over that time. The market was rising. You know, if you look at the small company indices, they were rising at about 30 to 40 percent every single year for three 
grid is. So the capital market is always like this. It fluctuates between bull market and bear market. And every time you see a bear market, remember there was a bull market before. And always remember that with a bear market that is long enough, you will see another bull market. And the volatility remains with almost all the capital markets in the world. When I was a, a junior analyst uh, back, you know, I think it's about 15, 20 years ago in the investment industry, I studied a lesson that about the volatility of stocks. And back in 1987, the US uh, SP500 index dropped by 27% in one single day without a reason. Nothing happened. So, so nothing really serious happened. The market lost more than one-fourth of its value in just one single day. And the next day, um, the Hong Kong market opened, and it was impacted because of the large drop of SP500 uh, US market the day before. And the Hong Kong market dropped by 40%. Uh, in one single day, and it was closed for, for a while because of this volatility. Nothing happened back in 1987. Remember that. I mean, 1987 was not a very serious year in the history. Try to recall something that happened in that year. You can't recall something. It's, it's not a very important year. It's not a disaster. And the Hong Kong market can drop by 40% in one single day only because people were scared. So this is where capital market is. You have the bull market, you have the bear market, later on you have the bull market again. So in the at the bottom of this bear market, we have seen that the Chinese government trying to save the market by doing all sorts of things, as you have just mentioned. So many things have been done. It looks like the market is stabilizing right now. Uh, we're not sure whether the bottom is reached yet, but if you look at the valuation of both the Asia markets like Beijing Exchange, Shanghai Exchange, and Shenzhen Exchange, and the Hong Kong market as well, where currency China has four large uh, stock exchanges. And if you look at the stocks in these, um, the valuation of stocks in them, it's, it's not very expensive at all. Some of them, uh, you can say, it's extremely cheap with P ratio three to four or five times. And the small cap companies are all trading around or even below 20 times P ratio. So the valuation is quite fair at the moment. We don't know how long this um, sentiment of the market will go, but this is a bottom area for sure. Mm. Now, Jun, I'm not quite sure if you've invested um, in China's stock market, but can you feel the frustration of, um, of Chinese investors and what's your prediction over what will be happening in the months or, or years to come? Actually, I'm working on a pension management and plan right. ever since about 10 years ago. So I think uh, what, what I want to say is that if we want to have a stable stock market, we must put long-term money into the market, which means that we must make the institutional investor as the main investors. However, if we look at the current situations in China's stock market, we have to say that the personal investors are the main players in this game. So if personal choices are the main choices of the market, then you can say, you must say that it's, it can't be stable because it is so personal, it is so unreasonable. Uh, so many people are, in my opinion, making speculations. They are not making long-term valuable investment. Mm. So I think from my point of view, it's very clear that uh, our policy should encourage the long-term money. Uh, the majority of them must be uh, pension uh, funds or other kind of such as insurance funds to join in the stock market. So I think uh, from the last few years experiences, our government is trying to do this. We are encouraging people to save money to put in their individual pension account, and then they will change the account to a long-term investment. It, it is a good thing, but in my opinion, it is not easy because we have a long-term job to do. For example, if you look at the American people's family asset, consumption, a family family inset uh, structure. We can see that the pension, the insurance, the, uh, the funds are the majority of the 
components. But if you see Chinese people's asset allocation, you can see property, savings, et cetera, et cetera, are making the, pro the majority of the consumption. So it's still a long way to go. Uh, for example, the public education, uh, the public publicity, and uh, some kind of long-term preparation. So we all know the, the right way to, to go, but it is still a long way to go. And uh, the pension system in China still uh, need to be improved. So I think it's not an easy thing. Uh, however, I'm optimistic about the future. But currently, we couldn't say that we have a good system right now. But we know the way we are going to do. Mm. And uh, Andy, how positive are you? Well, you know, Tuyun, I think this is such an important question. I think that if we just go back to first principles, first of all, that the purpose of a stock market is to allocate capital to its best use. So in this way, the government issuers, so companies that sell stock on stock exchanges, uh, Chinese investors, whether they're retail investors, whether they're institutional investors, and foreign investors all want the same thing. They want to see a successful Chinese stock market uh, with largely rising prices. And of course, we always know that they, they go up and down, but the trend you know, should be up because it mirrors the growth of the economy. So everyone wants the same thing. We also know that stocks in the long run are valued on the earnings of the companies that those stocks represent ownership in. Mm. So in the long term, what we have to ensure is that there are enough Chinese companies uh, with growing earnings. And if we do, and you know, some of these other things happen, there's sound management, um, there's clear communication, there's enough transparency, the markets will, will grow and, and be healthy. So. The other thing I want to say, though, that's very important is that, yes, there is a lot of negativity on the Chinese stock market today, the CSI 300. And it's true. The data shows that, uh, you know, that the markets have not done well. And many foreign investors last year paid a very heavy price for this. So last year, uh, many foreign investors believed that there would be a strong increase in Chinese stocks. They were wrong. And some of them, uh, you know, paid the price with their jobs, uh, with uh, their professional growth opportunities. And so this scares people. So there's, uh, you know, a certain reticence today. But that being said, there are stocks that have done well. So for example, I have a friend who's an investor who uh, his company just IPO'd and the stock was up was well, an industrial robotics company that was up 100%. So I think what this means is that it's a, as an asset class, you know, there's questions. Again, I think that the stock market needs to function well. Everyone wants the Chinese stock market to do well. But we saw some question marks. But that doesn't mean that there are not individual Chinese stocks that will do well and are doing well. So I think um, to use the politics of, of an equity markets investor, this is a stock picker market. Uh, you really have to look at individual stocks and not just say, I'm going to bet on the Chinese stock market going well. But I have to really look carefully at which stocks in the Chinese market will do well. Which stocks? Yes. Which stocks do you, you know, do you have any <laughs> kind of list there? Or maybe the investors need to uh, consult you before making investment. Well, let me put it this way. So let me just share two data points. Okay. So Starbucks uh, China sales were up 10%, but their transaction volume was up 20%. So I think this is a positive signal that shows that there is growth in the consumer market, uh, but that people are buying more, but spending less per transaction. Similarly, Yum China, that owns KFC and Pizza Hut, uh, saw something like, I don't remember the, the revenue increase, uh, like maybe 10, 20%, um, very strong revenue growth, 80% profit increase. 
you know, I'm not necessarily saying these are good stocks. You know, Starbucks is more than just China sure. uh, and has maybe perhaps some other challenges globally. It has competition like uh, Luckin, coffee, et cetera. But still, uh, again, I think we see here that, you know, if you do your homework, uh, you know, I think there are opportunities uh, in the Chinese equity markets. All right. And we've talked about uh, consumption. We've talked about um, investment and uh Uh, the third engine of the three main engines um, that have been driving China's growth for the past few decades. Actually, uh, I think Nijin already mentioned that. It's export. And the Lunar New Year holiday may help digest some um, products originally um, intended for overseas markets, but remain here in the Chinese market due to a gloomy global economic environment or import restrictions imposed by uh, some authorities of other countries. But What about the rest of the year? What challenges can we see ahead in this respect for for this year? Um, maybe Andy. Well, you know, I think the bright spot, you know, the, the shining bright spot for exports is Chinese electric vehicles, of course, right? You know, and I think what's very interesting is that the again the whole export story is is highly highly distorted. Um, that I think you know, I, total Chinese exports to the to you know exports to the world. Have been growing fairly consistently. Um, what China, Chinese exports to the U.S. are down this year, I think, uh, for 2023, the numbers I saw. But still, uh, you know, many people believe this is just being rerouted to Mexico and, and, and Vietnam and places like that. So again, I think that uh, you know, it, it's a challenge. It's an unclear. Time. It's an unclear time. There's a lot of uh, very profound changes going on, and we know that, of course, in 2024 with the U.S. presidential election. Uh, things could get a lot worse after November, uh, but they could get a lot better as well. And I think we have to remember that risk means variability, uh, which can be bad things happening that you don't want, but it could also be good things happening. And uh, I am a more hopeful kind of person, so I think that you know, uncertain times like this, uh, of course, pose challenges, but they also offer opportunities as well.、Mm. And Zhaohe,、uh, your take here. Regarding the exports, well, we have been investing quite a lot of money. I think it's about one fifth of our portfolio in export-related companies, mainly the ports.、Uh, we have been buying a lot of port companies. Thanks, we bought about three or four port companies.、Um, and we are the the reason we have bought that is that we still have a pretty large confidence towards China's、uh, export in the long term.、Uh, especially, we have bought a port company that is having a large relationship with the, the ASEAN countries,、uh, and we see that the ASEAN Export and import with China has been increasing dramatically in the last few years amid the tension between China and the U.S. So, if you look at the export of China, first of all, China is well probably the world's largest exporter at this moment.、Uh, so, the the position of China in the global trade is unshakable. I mean, you can't you can't shake that. It's too large,、um, and the. Ever since China had this trade tension with the U.S., the the share of the China and the U.S. trade has been diminishing in China's global trade. But the overall trade of China to the to the world has been increasing. So you can see a structural shift here that China's global trade has been shifting from、uh, the trade between China and U.S. Some of that has been shifting、uh, to. To the trade between China and other developing economies.、Uh, so what has been going on is that this trade is. Still gradually increasing, but the structure is shifting.、Uh, so we we have been pretty happy about China's global trade. One of 
of the most important reasons is that global businesses cannot miss the Chinese market. It's just too large. I mean, it's got 1.4 billion people. It's got a fully completed industrial chain that you can hardly find at any other place in the world. So China's global trade is going to remain a very important cornerstone for the Chinese economy, although its its contribution might not be as large as the consumption because the consumption in China is growing much faster compared with the traditional sectors like trade and investment. But it's going to be an important cornerstone. Mm. Then, uh, Nigerian, what's your take? Do, do you have any concerns uh, like uh, further restrictions from the EU or the US <laughs> maybe, you know, impeding China's export uh, in the years well, to come? Yeah, yes, I, I have so many things to concern about because there are so many things that cannot be controlled by China alone. Indeed. For example, the, the general election situations in US, uh, the political landscape in European countries, because we all know that not some politicians alone, but a kind of conservatism in international trade is looming in, in the international world. So I think, for example, right now, the competitions of different parties and candidates in U.S., general election, we can sense some kind of conservatism, not only in one party, but also in the two major parties. So uh, if the general election has some kind of trend, I, I think that kind of trend may not be very, very good for China's uh, export. But I think w- w- what we, we, ha- we can do is to do something that we can control and do it uh, in a better way. So I think we have to rely more and more on the internal needs, for example, our own consumptions. But at the same time, we have to upgrade our import structure. For example, we can import something with high end, with some kind of high added value, etc., etc. So I think yes, we have so many things to concern. But some things are not cannot be controlled by ourselves. But we we can do some things that can be controlled by ourselves better. All right. And yes, Andy, uh, how big a concern is the uh, general election in the U.S. You know, to you in terms of. Uh, China's export market, obviously, it will affect a lot of aspects in, you know, Sino-U.S. relations. But when it comes to exports, would it be a big concern, the result of the general election in in November? Well, certainly, uh, you know, what Trump is saying, I believe, is something like 60 percent tariffs on Chinese uh, imports to the United States. So what I've read and people I've talked to about this believe that this, of course, will have a very negative impact. So the question is, one, whether he wins, and if he does win, will he actually follow through on this? So two big question marks. Uh, we know that uh, with the Biden administration, at least on the export front, we're not likely to see any uh, major improvements, but you know, maybe at best it won't get worse. So you know, again, it's a, it's a very, I think, challenging environment that uh, company, Chinese companies that depend on exports to the U.S. will certainly have to grapple with this. That being said, there's also tremendous confidence and ambition amongst Chinese companies. So look at um, the Consumer Electronics Show. 4,000 companies, a quarter of them were Chinese. And many of them you know, want to sell to the U.S. market, which to me says uh, they're confident they can compete at a product level, technology, uh, product, etc. And you know that they, of course, see the enormous opportunity. The question is the, is the politics of it. And that's something, again, we have to wait and see. Indeed. The year of the dragon in 2024 is associated with the element of wood. And in Chinese culture, wood stands for calmness, loyalty, and reliability. And, and dragon is indulged with a prominent 
abilities, power, and revolutionary ideas. So the year of the Wood Dragon is expected to bring evolution, improvement, and abundance. So we see、um, the Oxford Economics, which is a key advisor to to corporate, financial, and government decision makers, expects. 2024 to be a slower but healthier dragon year for China. So, what would be your forecast?、Uh, shall we start with、um, Jiahe, please? Well, looking at the year of 2024, we we actually have a pretty、uh, good good expectation of the Chinese economy. Basically, because last year we got the economic growth at 5.2 percentage points,、uh, and we have got the electricity uh, produced uh, increased by six to seven percent. So that has been pretty good growth,、um, and you have to consider that it was achieved、uh, under two pressures. One pressure came from the real estate market, which has been cooling down. The other pressure is that in the first quarter of last year, we were just getting out of the cold, so not a lot of things has actually been recovered, and still we got five point. Two percent growth rate on the GDP, and if if you look into 2024, both of these pressures are gone. The real estate market has hit its bottom; it's cooling down right now. And in some cities, you see a lot of measures have been given by local governments to stabilize this market. So the trend will be much better compared with last year. And the COVID issue is long gone. So I personally expect a high economic growth in this year compared with last. Mm, quite optimistic, and、uh, Nigin, what would be the key in, in maintaining the growth momentum and resilience, you know, all the way to the next Spring Festival? In in your opinion? Well, I think the key and the resilience to the economic growth in the year twenty twenty four is the same, the structural reform. As we have all mentioned before the end of this、uh, program, we have mentioned about the investments. Uh, Uh, the consumption and、uh, international trade. We used to rely on international trade and investment as the main engine of our economy. But I think in the future, that is to say, from now on, we must rely on more and more on consumption. However, it is not easy because consumption has so many things to do with it. For example, the employment, the income,、uh, the policy, and other kinds of things. So, uh, uh, yes, just as I have mentioned, I'm optimistic about the future, but. I don't think it's easy because the structural reform needs so many things to do. Not only the government, but also the market, the society. Everybody must uh, uh, do their best in the next year.、Mm, won't come easily. And、um, Andy, last but not least, are you as optimistic as the other two guests? We know some institutions expect twenty twenty four to be a year of transition for the world, including China. How accurate is this kind of expectation to you? Well, I think given what's happening in China,、uh, certainly, I think structural reform is absolutely correct. So, you know, this shift towards and on the technology front, which is where I, I spend a lot of my time、uh, focusing on,、uh, to hard technology, deep technology, you know, this is a change that takes time, is not easy, and you know, to a degree, is disruptive. We also see、uh, the call for a, a financial system with Chinese characteristics. Again, given how fundamental and central、uh, a financial system is to a country's economy and society, you know, I think this is all going to be—it's、uh, important, but also challenging. So,、uh, I would say、uh, for 2024, boring is good. So, you know, if we keep at a relatively stable. Kind of growth.、Uh, the government's going to keep doing what it said it's going to do, and there's no major disruptions. I think that will be a good year. 
Fair enough. And on that note, we've come to the end of our chat. Many thanks to Andy Mock, Senior Research Fellow at the Center for China and Globalization, Chen Jiahe, Chief Investment Officer of Beijing-based Novan Market Technologies, and Professor Ku Naijun, School of Public Policy and Management, University of Chinese Academy of Sciences, for sharing your experiences and insightful views. The show is available on all major podcast platforms. If you have anything to say about the topic or the show, just email radio at cgtn.com. I'm Tian. Thank you for being with us. Have a healthy, safe, and prosperous year of the Chinese dragon. Until next time, take care.